0: Our reading today is from Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Early in the morning, Joshua and all Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, You are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them.
1: Well, I wonder how you feel about new experiences, about being asked to do something or go somewhere that you have never done before. People react in different ways to being asked to do something new, to do something unknown. Uh, Last night, Josh, our eldest, uh, booked tickets for Freya, his wife, and me uh, and him to go and see a show. And all the way through the day yesterday, I was pumping Josh for information. What were we going to see? Who were we going to see? Was it any good? Was it going to be an hour of my life that I would never get back again, as is the experience of most of us who go to fringe shows? What sort of a show was it? Was it comedy? Was it politics? It was politics and comedy. Uh, Was it any good? What reputation did it have? What reviews did it have? I wanted to know what I was going to go to. Other people over the past few weeks have been going to see fringe shows completely unaware, of what they were going to see. They were delighted to see something new and fresh, surprising and exciting. And in fact, the show that I went to see last night was the best 60 minutes I've ever spent in a container. It really was. It was fantastic. (laughs) But I wonder for you, when you're faced with something new, with something different, with something unknown, how do you respond? Just turn to the person next to you and say whether your immediate reaction is to look forward to something new or to dread something new. Just tell each other. (laughs) Okay. Now, I recognize that this might vary according to age, and it might vary according to what is the new thing that you don't know you're going to do. But hands up if you love something new. Ah, interesting. Hands up if you hate something new. Okay. Okay, that's fine. I mean, it's not right or wrong. It's just different. Um, Kathy and I, when it comes to holidays, um, Kathy loves to go somewhere new. Um, She loves to explore places. She loves to go places that are different. Even now, she's reading up on Slovenia because we've never been to Slovenia. And she wants to go there and she wants to take us there. And me, I'd far, far rather go somewhere that we've been before. I'd love to go back to Disney that to all our surprise, we, we loved. We can't afford it, but I'd love to go back to Disney. I'd love to go back to that hotel in Aze Lerido in the Loire Valley that we went to years ago, because it was beautiful. And I'd love to go back to, to Tuscany, where we had our best holiday with no kids. And I'd love to go back to, to the same place in Croatia that we've been for the last three years. I would love to go to that sort of place that we've been to before, because if I'm honest, I want to go to places where I've been before. I don't really cope well with things that are new and things that are different. It might be that it's around the introvert-extrovert axis of people's personality. Some people are introverts, some people are extroverts. I'm an introvert, and uh, I much much prefer things that are known, things that are secure. Um, That's why I've stayed at PG's for so long. Extrovert people are a bit different. I've got a friend, and um, we're very different. When we used to go to parties or to conferences together, um, we would walk into a room, and there might be 200 people in the room at a, at a conference. And I would look, scan the room immediately for the one person that I already knew. And I would gravitate towards that one person and cling onto them for grim death. Um Whereas my mate, he would walk into a room full of 200 people that he didn't know, and he would just go, fresh meat. (laughs) And he would just spend his time going around and talking to people. We're different, introvert, extrovert, people who like the new, people who prefer the already discovered. Well, this morning's Bible passage that we're looking at from Joshua chapter 3 is somebody, Joshua, who is on the edge of a new experience. There are moments in history that are called hinge moments, moments where the whole of history turned. And for Joshua and for the people of Israel, this is one of those hinge moments, a moment when everything now is different, everything now changes. Joshua in Joshua chapter three is on the verge of leading the people into the promised land, into Canaan. He's been observing Moses for just over 40 years. Moses has been leading the people of Israel. Just over 40 years before, Joshua had been one of the 12 spies that were sent into Canaan, the promised land. And Joshua and one other had come back and said, it's fantastic. It's amazing. It's like Disney. No, Um, But it's just unbelievable and we should go. But the 10 spies that had gone in there with them, they'd gone, oh, it looks a bit dodgy. The people look a bit big. They look a bit strong. I don't think we should go. And the majority had won out, because democracy always goes well. And uh, the ten spies had won over the two, and God had said, well, because you don't believe in me enough, because you're disobedient, I'm going to send you into the wilderness for 40 years, and not one of this generation will enter into the promised land. And one by one, that generation had died in the wilderness. Moses himself had died without seeing the promised land. And now the mantle literally falls upon Joshua. He's observed Moses the leader. He's observed how Moses has struggled. He's observed how Moses has wrestled with the people of Israel as he's led them. And now the succession plan is complete. And now the baton is handed over to Joshua himself. And God promises him three things. His presence, his promise, and his people. His presence, his promise, and his people. Firstly, his presence. It's the most basic thing that God offers to give to Joshua. As he's on the verge of becoming the leader of the nation, as he's on the verge of taking the people of Israel into the promised land, as he's on the verge of taking on this new responsibility, the most important thing that God gives him isn't a gift, isn't a competency, isn't an ability, isn't even a skill. The most important thing that God gives to Joshua is his presence. Joshua chapter 1 and verses 5 and 6, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. And four times Joshua is told those words in chapter one alone. Be strong and courageous, verses six, seven, nine, and 18. Be strong and courageous. Why? Because it's the last thing that Joshua was feeling. He was not feeling strong, he was not feeling courageous. That's why God has to tell him four times be strong and courageous. And he says to him, I am with you, just as I was with Moses, I am with you. I, Yahweh, literally the ever-living one, I am with you. Moses is dead, but God says, I'm not dead, and I will be with you, Joshua. And he promises him his presence. We're at a time of the year when lots of people are having some of those new experiences that we've just identified a few moments ago. People are moving to Edinburgh to start a new course. People are moving to Edinburgh to start a new job. People in the last two or three weeks or in the next week will start a new school or or start nursery for the first time or start primary school or start high school. But maybe there's another experience that you are about to begin. It might be an experience that comes from a health diagnosis. You sit across the desk from a doctor or a nurse and they tell you something that is a hinge moment for your life. Maybe it's an experience of grief that you're entering into, maybe for the first time, and you're having to navigate what that feels like. It's something new. It's something unknown. What you need to know, what I need to know, in those hinge moments, is that God is with us. That's the most important thing. Imagine a situation where you're facing something new. Imagine that feeling in the pit of your stomach on that first day at school. Imagine that feeling in the pit of your stomach that first day in that new job where everybody else around you knew what was going on, knew where the coffee was, knew what happened in in that particular company, in that particular office, and you hadn't got a clue. You were the new boy. You were the new girl. Imagine what it would have been like if you had been able, not in a creepy way, but on that first day at school, for your mum or your dad to be there alongside you. On that first day at university or college, if you went to university or college, again not in a creepy way, in a way that doesn't make you look cool with the other kids, but your mum and your dad were able to stay with you. Imagine if somebody, a really close friend, was able to accompany you during the first week in your new job, in that new company. Imagine the difference that that would make. God is saying, I am with you. I give you my presence. I give you who I am, Joshua. His presence. And secondly, he promises, literally, God's promise. He reminds Joshua to keep this book of the law on his lips day and night. Let it be present in your mouth. Let it be present in your mind. Let it preside over your will. And he says, if you follow me, if you keep my word, if you live Life the way I have always intended humanity to live life. I will be with you. And he instructs God, uh, God instructs Joshua, who instructs the officers, to go and tell the people, consecrate yourselves because tomorrow the Lord is going to do something amazing. And he tells them to follow one thing follow the ark of the covenant. The officers tell the people of Israel, watch out for the Ark of the Covenant. And when you see the priests, the Levitical priests, carrying the Ark of the Covenant into the Jordan, that's when the waters part, when the leaders get their feet wet, and that's what you're to follow. But what did the Ark of the Covenant signify? What did the Ark of the Covenant mean for the people of Israel? The Ark of the Covenant was a sign of God's presence. It was more than a symbol. It was more than a flag. It was where, I mean, just put Indiana Jones out of your mind for a minute, but the people of Israel, that was where God dwelt with the people. That's where God's presence was. And God tells the people, follow the Ark of the Covenant. Follow my presence. I will be with you. And as you see the priests take the ark into the river and as you see the Jordan start to part as their feet touch the water and as the ark of the covenant goes into the water, then follow the ark of the covenant. And he gives them a reason in that verse that became very important for us as a church in chapter 3 and verse 4. When we were going through Project 21 and the whole building refurbishment plan that we undertook 10, 12 years ago, we just had this sense of God saying to us, follow me, trust me, listen to me. Why? Because you have never been this way before. Because you have never been this way before. Whatever new experience that you are facing, Whatever new challenge that lies ahead of you. God says, follow me, trust me, because you've never been this way before. Joshua had been across, but he was one of only two people in the entire nation of Israel. Maybe hundreds of thousands. Some commentators speculate. Bless you. It was as high. As, I have to do it. It's a job. Um, maybe as many as two million people in the people of Israel. Two million people, but only two of them have been and seen what Canaan is actually like. So God says to them, "Follow the ark. Follow my presence. Follow my promise, because you have never been this way." before. And the remarkable thing is that there is nothing that we will face that God himself hasn't faced. Hebrews speaks about Jesus being tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. God himself has experienced what we feel. In the lines of a song from the 80s, he walked where I walk, he felt what I feel. So, whatever it is you're facing this morning, whatever it is you're facing today, whatever it is you're going through at the moment, God knows what that feels like. God knows what it feels like to feel misunderstood. God knows what it feels like to feel injustice. God knows what it feels like to feel pain. God knows what it feels like to feel grief. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. God Himself knows what that feels like. The God that we believe in isn't distant or remote. He doesn't say, well, follow me and then do your best and I'll see you when you get to heaven. But He's actually felt what we feel. That's what the incarnation is all about. God Himself knows what we go through because He's felt it in the person of His Son. God knows what it is To be a child. God knows what it is to be a parent. God knows what it is to lose a child. All the different emotions that we feel, all the different experiences that we go through, God Himself has felt it and asks us to follow Him and to follow His presence. I remember when I was in my early 20s going on holiday to Canada with a group of friends, and, and we sat in a, in a river valley in the Rockies. And with respect, Canada is like Scotland times 100. I mean, it is just, if you've never been, um, I only went once, but I'd love to go back again because I've been there before. <laughs> I mean, the mountains are just huge. The, the river was this glacial blue. The, the sky was inc- an incredible color of blue. The sun was warm, and it was Scotland times a hundred, and it was just stunning, and we sat in this river valley, and, and we were a very, very spiritual group of, of friends from a Baptist church, and so somebody picked out a Bible and, and read a psalm, and we were just overcome by the majesty of God in creation And it suddenly struck me that that was the first time that I'd ever been in that particular part of the world, and probably was going to be the last time that I would ever be in that particular part of the world. But there would be nowhere that I would ever go that God hadn't been there before. And if that's true physically, it's also true emotionally, it's true psychologically, and it's true spiritually. There is nowhere that we can go, nowhere... That we will find ourselves, nothing that we will go through that God Himself hasn't been through. Because in His Son Jesus, He knows what it is to be fully human. So God gives His presence, God gives His promise, and then finally, God gives His people. People often say that leadership is lonely. And it's true that sometimes if you talk to people who are leaders, they sometimes know stuff that other people don't know, and sometimes it can feel very lonely. And we often have this picture of leadership. Um, If you remember, um, to the delight of uh, Scottish football fans, that occasion when England failed to qualify for the World Cup, they were playing against Croatia, and uh, Steve McLaren was uh, the England coach about 10 years ago, and he, he became known as the Wally with the Broly. Uh, because he stood on the touchline. It was pouring rain at Wembley, and England lost to Croatia, and he stood by himself with this umbrella and just stood there. And it was an incredible picture of loneliness, of leadership, as he was just there on the touchline all by himself. My uh, football manager at the moment of my football club looks incredibly lonely, and I'm praying for him uh, that he might not be as lonely. Um, maybe you remember that picture of JFK uh, when he was president of the of the states, slumped over the desk uh, in the Oval Office, uh, and just sort of slumped down. It was taken from behind, uh, a bit like that, and he was he was he was just slumped on the desk, almost with the, with the weight of the world on his shoulders. And people said, "Well, that's lo- that's leadership, and it's it's lonely." Well, somebody else has said, actually, leadership is only as lonely as you want it to be. Leadership is only as lonely as you make it to be. And if you look in the New Testament in particular, leadership was always meant to be plural. Leadership, particularly in a church, was never meant to be one person. It was never meant to be one man ministry or even one woman ministry. Leadership was always meant to be a plurality. It was always meant to be a team. It was always meant to be about community because leadership in the church is meant to reflect the leadership, as it were, in, in the Godhead. The Trinity itself is about relationship. Most of the verbs in the New Testament are plural, and we get into trouble when we try and apply them to ourselves as individuals. Individuals. Our faith is meant to be lived out in relationship with each other, in community with each other, in the church as well as in society. It's a tragedy of of our culture, of our society, that in the UK government we now have a minister for loneliness. That's where our society, that's where our culture has got to that the epidemic, if you like, the disease of our society is loneliness, that we may feel more connected through these things, but actually people are more lonely than they've ever been. They might know what's happening across the world, but they don't know the names of the people who live 500 yards or 50 yards from them. We were meant to live in community. We were meant to lead in community. Joshua is given these people that are described in a bit of sort of militaristic way. They're described as officers. But it's his team. God tells Joshua who tells the officers and they go and tell the people, prepare yourselves, get ready for tomorrow because tomorrow the Lord is going to do something amazing amongst you. So we believe that leadership should be plural, and that's why it's just great for us as a church to be able to welcome Paul as our new associate rector, to join Libby and myself and the rest of the staff team um, today. And this evening in our seven o'clock service, uh, Paul is going to be licensed by the bishop, he's going to be made official. And uh, if you'd love to, we'd love you to join us for that service. I'm going to ask Paul and and Katie, his wife, and I think Bay uh, is also with them. And uh, they're going to join me up here and I'm going to ask them some questions because we thought it would be a good opportunity to introduce uh, you to them and them to you. And then once they get to know you, they can decide whether they want to stay uh, or not. Uh, So Paul's on number one and Katie is on number two. And this is Bay. Hi, babe. On oh, number three. No, she hasn't got her own mic. So, um, can you tell, for folks who don't know you, tell us a bit about yourselves.
2: Um, well, my name is Paul, for those of you who don't know, and Dave just said, this is my wife, Katie. We've been married for 14 years, and we have four kids. Got to get that right, haven't I? Married for 14 years and four kids, um, at ages two, four, six, and eight. And this is our youngest, babe. I'm going to give a chocolate biscuit, too, just
0: that yeah.
2: okay. <laughs> she doesn't take... Wow, good, good father. Look at that. Where 's mine
0: um,
2: i 've got one actually for you <laughs> yeah, it's just like that, that wasn 't staged or anything at all
3: yeah, right
1: um, okay, so, tell, us yeah. A bit, tell us a bit about yourselves as well and the family and where you come from and...
3: Okay, um, yeah, so we got married fourteen years ago and started out married life in london um, that 's where we had our first three babies, our first three boys. Um, and we um, planted a church with our friends, uh, KXC, um, with Pete and B there. Um, and after about 12 years, we moved on to New Zealand. Uh, we went and lived in Auckland for a couple of years, uh, where Paul um, had a similar role in a church in Auckland, um, and that's where we've just come back from. So we just came back in April. Um, and we had Bay over there, so she's our little Kiwi a little souvenir uh, <laughs> so to we remind get to us. Yeah, we get to keep her. Um, so, yeah, so we had our fourth baby and had a great couple of years over there before um, feeling like home was calling and heading back
1: over. So, why did you sense God's prompting to come to P's and G's?
2: So, we were doing the thing that, um, this is going to sound rude, that a lot of married couples do in the evening in bed, but it was watching a box set. Okay, <laughs> Probably with a nice uh, cocktail or something. And we were just sitting there uh, late at night, watching a boxer in bed, and an email just pinged up. And it was actually our best man at our wedding, my best man, and uh, he uh, has known me for years, that sort of relationship where he's a mentor and um, really knows us inside out. There's nothing he doesn't know about us, which is great. And he actually saw the job that came up, and he said, look... I would be applying for this job uh, if it was right. It doesn't feel right for me, but knowing you and what I've read about the church and heard about the church, I think this is a great fit. So just have a little look. So we kind of peeked at it, didn't we? We kind of read it and then we kind of shut the laptop and then we kind of opened it up again, and uh, not that we threw it away, but it was a little bit like a boomerang. It just kept coming back. It was like, let's just have another little look at that. And then we looked at it, read it, did a, quite a few Skype calls, um, and just got a real strong sense that God's going before us, that his presence was with us, that this is the next chapter, the next season for us as a family. Um, yeah.
1: So, so. And what are, you, what are you excited by as you, um, apart from Bourbon Biscuits? Yeah. Um, I'm so excited about them. <laughs>
3: Well, we've just moved into Portobello, um, and so far we're loving it. Um, Very randomly ended up feeling like that was the place for us to go. Um, So we've been there for three weeks now, um, and already we just feel like it's a place that we're definitely going to feel at home. And so I'm excited to start getting to know that community and um, all the things that they do. They do lots and lots of things for the community so and the kids finding community there and here too so getting the kids settled in their groups getting to know people I think just becoming you know part of this world and getting to know you guys something that we're definitely looking forward to
2: yeah and I think from the sort of the ministry side of things um, I was telling the guys at the 9am but I have this black folder that I've filled with loads of great ideas, in my opinion, you know, good ideas of what we could do and so on, things that I've collected over the years and things. And I said to God, look, I'm I'm happy never to open it. I'm happy just to leave it. And just to see what you're doing, God, and just to get on board with the things that he's doing. And not the good ideas, but the God ideas. Um, I'm excited about us as we continue to grow in confidence and courage to share our faith in a non-freaky, normal, non-religious way to our work colleagues and friends and family. Excited to see people come to faith, come back to faith and come alive in their faith. And just as Katie said, yeah, getting to know everyone, being here in this community. so.
1: So how can we pray for you?
3: Be amazing for this one to stay in her group, the the immediate right in front of me, because otherwise I end up, you know, never being never being able to get to anything. Um, So that would be one progress, but also um, larger than that, that um, that myself and you know, and Paul and the kids would settle really quickly and really find that community that I was talking about, and make true friends and. Yeah, I think that would be the, the biggest prayer request of the moment.
2: And just the season, I guess, this new chapter that we have eyes to see, ears to hear and so on, and the feet to follow what God's doing in this next chapter and season at P's and G's. That'd be great.
1: Well, we'd love to, to pray for you now. Libby, if you want to join me up, up here, um, as Paul starts this new role as, a, as associate rector, and for you as a family that you just settle in uh, to Edinburgh and into Portobello, that it might be somewhere where you can call home. I'm particularly loving the way that Bae has managed to balance the bourbon biscuit
0: on her button,
1: um, which is quite handy. Um, But let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Paul and for Katie, and we thank you for them joining us in this community, in this church family. We want to pray, Father, for you to reassure them of your presence and of your promise. We want to pray that your word would be at the center of their life. And that they wouldn't depart from the left or the right that they would be aware of you saying to them follow me because you've never been this way before that they would sense your leading and your direction that you would reassure them of your love and of your commitment to them as they commit themselves to you we pray for them as a family that quickly they'd settle into Portobello and that it would be home that they would give them friends around them where they can be themselves And we thank you for all that they will bring to us as a church, for all that they will give to us as a church, but also for all that they will receive from us as well. So, we thank you for them, and we pray that this would be a significant day for them as a family, that they can look back on, and just that sense of a new phase, a new chapter, a new season of ministry beginning, as you call called them to this place at this time. So, Father, would you fill them with your Spirit, Would you reassure them with your presence? Would you be at their left hand, their right hand, go ahead of them and behind them? And may your kingdom be extended through them. In Jesus' name, amen.